Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Welcome again, everybody, to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray, with my friend Dave Carringer with us. Uh, many of you heard our interview last week, and if you didn't, please go back and, and listen to that because these two really dovetail in together. Dave is the author of a wonderful new book called Born from Above, which is available on Amazon and lots of other places, Barnes and Noble and different places. We'll talk about that some more. But today, Dave, welcome back for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Well, thanks for having me back. I had a great time the first time around, for sure. Well, me too. And we talked about a lot of things then. And I'd like to just jump right into your book now. You carved uh, out the time to do it. Your wife was very supportive and helped you with that. You self-published it, worked with some other companies, and that's kind of the nuts and bolts. But tell us about the genesis of the book. It's called Born From Above, Waking Up to Our Genesis. Tell us what prompted you to write it, what the book's about, and what you hope to achieve, how you hope to help people through the book. Well, Part of it, and I talk about it in chapter three of taking the Bible out of the box, came from some of the visions and dreams that I had with Jesus that were very, I've had some very graphic, very real visions of Jesus. One of the very first ones that I had was not per se with Jesus, but I remember having a dream where I was in this huge warehouse. When I say warehouse, it was like a non-ending uh room that just went forever and ever. And there were all these lamps. There were lamps of every shade, every color, every style. And they were in different rooms that were set up. And as I walked down the aisle, I was totally amazed that I'm like, who could have ever come up with this many different kinds of lamps with for different ambiance and different shades and different rooms and different settings. And as I walked down, I was just amazed. And I'm like, what am I doing here? And all of a sudden it hit me that these lamps, all as beautiful as they were in different colors and styles and shapes and sizes, something inside me began to tell me they all have the same light. They all have the same source of light. And when I woke up and I began to realize that what the Father was showing me was that each person is created. We're different. We have fingerprints. We're divine design. We're, we're different than anybody else and nobody can be like us, but we have that same light that comes out through our shade and it gives off a beautiful ambiance and different light. Everything is different about that in its own unique and beautiful way. And I began to realize that if you took this shade off of this light that was so beautiful with it and you tried to put it on another lamp, it would look downright goofy and not be the same. And it was like the father was showing me that he lives through all of us and shows us where we can love on other people and we can shine our own light, our own personality, our own 
who we've been made with our fingerprints and distinctions, but it was the same light and the same love. And so there's just, you know, different things like that. And then I talk about in chapter three about, I uh, was up ministering one day for a crowd of people and talking and, and just right in the middle of the thing, I'm like, I see Jesus standing beside me and here's all these people waiting for me to speak. And it's like, Jesus is there and he's reaching out for something. And I look down in my hands and I have a child's etch sketch in my hand. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And so I hand it to him and Jesus takes the etch sketch and smiles, turns it over. He shakes it real good turns it back over, and when he sees that it's blank, he hands it back to me and smiles. And that's the end of that. Well, then I was invited by a pastor friend of mine who I'd known for many years to come up and speak at his church. And I'd gone up there a week before to kind of get used to the people. And he'd asked me to come up there and just, you know, let them become familiar with my face. While sitting there, I was led into this vision of Jesus sitting on a park bench and When I walked up to him, he had a rectangular box and I sat down on the bench beside him and he handed me this box. And I was so stunned that Jesus had just handed me something and I'm sitting there, you know, looking and he looks at me with this funny look like, well, do you want to know what's in it or not? And when I opened it up, it was a brand new Bible, obviously never been opened. The pages were gold around the edges. And I was staring at this Bible like, wow, Jesus just gave me a Bible. And again, I look over at him and he's like, well, are you going to open it up or what? And I realized that once I opened it, it would never be the same, that the gold and the luster and the ornate beauty would never be the same. And again, Jesus looked at me like, will you forget about the gold on the pages? And when I opened it up, the letters jumped off the scripture. I uh, don't remember what scripture it was or anything. We didn't have time to focus on that. But the letters came alive like little kids, jumped off the page, ran across into this open field. And as they ran across, several of them grew up into adults and they began acting out a scene. And I realized they were living out the scripture alive right before me. And Jesus was leaning over, telling me things to watch for. Well, those are all some pretty wild things. But what I began to see through the years was this Etch-A-Sketch that we all have through different, our traditions and our ideas and different things that have been distorted and veiled. We all have, like a child would be on an Etch-A-Sketch, we have little lines and scribbles that don't really connect and form a whole picture. And what Jesus was telling me or the spirit of the father was showing me that it was time for me to erase these distorted scribblings and begin to see the truth. And the Bible coming alive was like me being able to see. I realized this was never about Jesus giving me a brand new Bible. He was teaching me how to take my old Bible that I had had for so many years, how to take it out of the traditional box that we've been taught to read it in with our doctrinal lenses. And I began to see things after that, that it just totally changed my life. So that's part of what the book is about. And many of the things that we've been taught went back and started studying as far as the validity and the historical background of those things. And many of the things that I was taught as to use the term sound doctrine weren't really sound at all. And so it was a discovery process that 
Why do we believe these things? And like Peter said, when Jesus came, that men, what were they redeemed from? Were they redeemed from evil, sinful nature that they were born into because of Adam? No, he said they were redeemed from their aimless works because of the traditions passed down from their fathers. And I began to realize that a lot of the things that we've been taught as traditions don't, the scriptures don't really say a lot of the things Mm -hmm. that we've been taught. They say, unless you put on a certain pair of glasses and look at it from over here. And so that was a big discovery for me as I began to grow and realize that we don't need men. And once again, I don't ever mean to offend people. I've been here. I was doing all that. So I don't mean to offend people's heart or their degrees or what they're doing. You know, I love everybody and I believed all this for a long time. But I began to see that, you know, we go to school to become a Bible teacher and we go through a either a seminary or a doctrinal school or a denominational school. And when we go in, we're fitted with a pair of glasses that says this is what we believe. This is our creed. And this is why the scriptures say this is because of this. And we realize that we're taught something, not really to learn what the Bible says, but we're taught more out of a lens that we've been fitted with to prove our points by Scripture. And when the more I began to study and go back and look at things, a lot of the things that we were taught, the Scriptures don't really say that. Yeah, they really don't. I don't know about you. One of my pet peeves, you and I are both on Facebook a lot. And once in a while, just to create a little stir, I will post something and ask people to respond to it. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) my biggest pet peeve is when somebody will just post a scripture reference. And sometimes they'll actually post the verse with it, but not make any comment on it or any explanation or what that means to them. And I know where they're coming from because, like you, I used to do that too. You know, the mindset, or at least what I infer is their mindset is, if you would just read this verse, it will set you straight, and you'll quit saying all those ridiculous things, and you'll know what the truth is. And, uh, (laughs) and of course, it's the truth according to what their interpretation (laughs) of that book is. So that's just kind of a pet peeve of mine who people who just throw out a reference and expect that to uh, set everything straight because it doesn't at all. Years ago, I was in a, and it's been many years ago, it was probably 18 or 20 years ago, I was in a certain group and there was a young man that came and he was well known for having memorized scriptures. And he pretty much knew the book of Ephesians and he would stand and he would quote verse for verse all the way through the end of Ephesians and everybody would clap and they were all excited and all these different things. And at the end of the service, I walked up and shook his hand and and I was never, you know, I'd go ask my Sunday school teachers questions about things and they're like, well, I don't really know. Where is this in the Bible? Well, I don't know. I think it's over there in that book of the Revelations, you know, something like that. But I had questions and So at the end of his speech, I went up and I picked out one of the verses and I said, and I read it to him and I said, you quoted this. And I said, can you tell me what does this mean to me? How does this pertain to my life? And it was like, you could tell no one had ever asked him that before because they were impressed with his memorization skills. But when it came down to him explaining to me what that verse meant or what that held in store for me, he was like, had the deer in the headlights look and he didn't know how to answer it. And out of that, at a very young age of walking in Christianity, I began to realize that 
there were a lot of people that had memorized scripture that didn't have a clue what they meant. And I used to talk about it all the time. You can memorize the phone book. If we don't understand the Father's heart and you don't learn how to rightly divide scripture from a theological school or a training facility, you have to have the love. First off, that's the master key right there is the love that Jesus carried and brought and showed to everyone and treated everyone the same. If we don't have that Father's heart and that love, we're going to see things, you know, like I talk about in the book, the Bible has brought beautiful healing and transformation in many people's lives. And they look back and they have glorious testimonies of things that they discovered in the Bible. Likewise, you can go and look back at horrific wars and destruction and people that use Bible verses as a backdrop for what they were doing to kill people and exclusive things. And so where's the line? What's the difference? How could something that can be so good be so evil? and turn into something that's so far from love. And we have to realize it's all in the eyes and the perception of the one that holds the book in their hands. And we can take these verses and we can pick out things that that sound like judgment, you know, judge God and all these different things, not realizing that many of these things were written in metaphoric, symbolic descriptors that don't really describe something literal But, you know, as I talk about in the book, like the stars falling or the heavens and earth passing away or all these different things. And we've been taught that this is going to be some sci-fi Steven Spielberg climactic end of the world. And when we go back and look at it, we realize that that language was really about powers and people in powerful places, mindsets and religions that were being cast down from their places of power and brought out naked in the light where people could see those. And when we begin to see this book that really is, has a beautiful backdrop of the incarnation of the divine in men, but it also shows us when that backdrop gets veiled by our distortions. If you look at what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, he said, there's one thing that I'm convinced of, that all men came into this world upright and righteous, but they have devised in their minds and schemes and their imaginations that have led them. And if you go and look at that word schemes or the imaginations and the strong concordance, it actually says warlike machines. And it's out of this thought of alienation and separation from God that man has had the ability to take something that was beautiful and upright and righteous and in yet in his own imagination has created warlike machines and things that harm people and hurt people. And if you go look at what Paul said to the Corinthians, he said what we have to do, he said our battle isn't with flesh and blood, but our warfare. It's interesting that he uses the word warfare where Solomon talked about warlike machines, he says we have to go into the high places of our thinking where we're conscious and our imaginations are, and these things that have exalted themselves as though they're the knowledge of our true divine source, but they're causing effects that are so detrimental and evil, we've got to pull those things down and cast them down out of our imagination and realize that we were one in the beginning, and in the Father's eyes, that's never changed. We're down here. We don't know what we're doing. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He wasn't talking about, okay, God's going to send one man to die so other men don't have to die. 
The word forgiveness that Jesus used was a pushing away. And I use the analogy of a ship. If a ship is bound by ropes to a foreign harbor and it can't go out and sail on its intended purpose, the pushing away or the forgiveness that Jesus talked about was like, he said, Father, forgive them from their mindset of fear and terror and death because they don't have a clue what they're doing. And it was like Jesus, when he came, he cut the ropes of the bondage and fear that we've been subjects of. Really, it was to the Jews and those people, but we can still learn from this that he cut the ropes so that the ship can sail in its intended purpose. And that's what Jesus came. He didn't come to be some goalpost theological thing for us to trudge and run and strive to get to at the end of the field. He came to show us who we were. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And one day you'll realize and know that we're one and things you've seen me do, you'll do also. And he lived this beautiful life in front of them to show them not what they could become, but who they were in that beautiful incarnation of the divine treasure in earthen vessels. Well, well said, Dave, and that's such a night and day difference of what we used to believe and what we used to teach. So I, I would guess now, and I think you said this in your book, you're no longer involved in a brick-and-mortar church and speaking and teaching there, but you're, tell us what you're doing in addition to your book, how you're ministering to people. Well, we have a fellowship group that we meet with. It's a small group of people who are thinkers that were involved in, as I was, in pretty much every aspect of ministry that there is for 20 years. And we began to ask questions. And so we enjoy that. But the biggest thing we do, you know, I traveled for 20 years, went to the prisons and just a circuit of prisons and went to the people in the jails and and loved on them. But my biggest ministry now is the person in front of me, the person in my sphere, wherever I am. If you're in my zone, if you feel me with a little crowbar over there, I'm opening the treasure box for you to see what's inside. And a human treasure hunter. Yeah, uh, it really is. It's a life of seeing the divine treasure in other people that they don't know. And once we learn to realize and accept ourselves for who we are, that the Father has made us and lives through us and as us, our eyes of judgment begin to fall away. And the plaque that we imagine on the desk of Judge God with some surveillance camera watching every move and a naughty or nice list that one day we're going to have to answer for, all that gets swept off where it belongs over in the trash can. And we begin to realize that the Father's love and the divine presence and the treasure is carried in every person. And it's no longer Judge God. It's Abba Father, who Jesus came to teach us that this paternal source, this pattern that we're all created out of and that lives through us and as us, we begin to see other people. As we do that, that's the love that changes the world. It takes away the exclusive mindset, the us and them you know as well as I do, how many denominations have we got? And there's a little, you know, jokes going on. Well, you know, they're Christians, but we're the ones that have got it right. And it brings you out of this us and them mentality to realize that every person that has a breath in their body carries the same divine presence and treasure that the son of man carried when he walked on this earth. And he came to wake men up to that and to show us, This father that I've shown you, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And if you've seen me, you've seen what I've come to show you. 
that one day you'll realize that you're one with this same father. And that's the love that heals the world. That's the love that our younger generations are beginning to see that they don't care about people's color or their religion or where they come from. They're reaching out to love each other as one. And is it an easy process? No, we've got a lot of stuff to work back out of. But as we begin to drop the fear in our own lives and begin to see the love and begin to realize that nothing can take this life. Jesus said, you know, I lay down my life, I'll pick it back up. This life that we have, Nothing can take this life from us. You may, this flesh tent that I'm in may expire and you may think that you're killing me and this body sure enough may go in the ground. But this divine source that I came out of, that I existed in long before I even knew who I was on this earth will always be the same and it will always enjoy and be part of that Christ that in Christ, which was the Christian term for it, or what John and, and them used of this anointed place, it's different in different cultures. And I'm not afraid to say that anymore. I'm not afraid of other cultures or other religions. I don't have to speak Christianese. I can sit down with anybody, but the same presence and the same love and the same source that lives in me, I see in everyone else. And when we begin to see that, we start laying down our weapons. We start laying down. We start pulling down the walls that we've built. We stop being afraid. And that's the love that we're raising our kids in. That's our grandchildren and their children one day. They'll never have to sit and listen to these distorted messages of eternal conscious torment and some God somewhere that's going to do this because from the ground up, from their first breath, they're going to be taught that they were precious and that they are the, you know, when we begin to see with unveiled face the truth, that we begin to clearly see that we were the most holy place all along. When we instill that in our children and that love, that's the love that sweeps across and brings a whole new landscape to this world. And will I see it all while I'm in this flesh body? Maybe not, probably not, but that doesn't stop me from living like it every day with the people that I'm around. And so that's my ministry today. Is I walk up to people on the street and just love on them and talk to them and, and have become friends with people that way. Pull over and sit with people on the corners and give them, you know, socks and toboggans and clothes and money when it's cold and sit and talk to them. Tell me your story. How'd you get here? I've met some of the most interesting people that I've ever known in my life that were just common faces of just common people who had uncommon stories and a beautiful life hidden within them. Mm. That's the treasure of God in the earth investments. You are indeed a human treasure hunter, and that's wonderful. Yes, Dave, I've so enjoyed hearing you talk about all of this. Most of us won't be able to see you face-to-face -face and have you share that joy with us, but we can all get a copy of your book, Born from Above. And as again, I, I mentioned earlier, I've read it from cover to cover, and uh, I took my time reading it and got lots of dog-eared pages and underlined things and stars here and there and highlights and that kind of stuff, as I do with different good books that I read. And so I, I, I want to thank you for sharing about this. I want to thank you for writing it. And as we get ready to close, tell people where they can get Born from Above and how they can connect with you. It's on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. Just type in Born From Above, Waking Up To Our Genesis. If you start typing that in, it'll come up and it'll have my name on it. You can order it from there. If you're in any country that has Amazon, we've had people all over the world that have been sending us pictures and 
things, you know, of them receiving them. So we know that it's getting out there. I've been very pleased with the response and people, you know, sending me videos and just little things. And then Ingram publishing also, if you're in a place where you don't get Amazon and you can just get the ISBN number off of the book, and any bookstore should be able to order if they can get books from Ingram, which is one of the largest printing and publishing companies in the world. You can get it from there. And if you can't find it, find me on Facebook, Dave Carringer, send me a message and we'll get you a book somehow. Wonderful. And Dave, thanks so much for taking this time with me and to talk to our people on Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I sure recommend your book and your Facebook site. And I know people uh, who are listening, hearing you for the first time will want to connect. So thank you so much. Paul, I'm so honored. Thank you for reading the book. Thank you for inviting me on here. I love it. And I love you, man. Thank you. I love you as well. It's my privilege. And thanks to all for watching today and listening to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.